Okay. We are partway through a series, and this morning I'll be continuing with that series. Uh, the series is uh, called Overcoming Our Fears, and this is part three. Just to give you a, a bit of a recap, I guess, uh, of where we've started, I think that um, there's, a, there's a foundation that I laid in the first session uh, of this series in Overcoming Our Fears. And that foundation is really crucial from us, for us to build upon as we move forward in this series that we're going on. And, and really all it is is, is understanding the, uh, the ABCs of what we're, we're trying to do. The A is simply, the found, one of the foundation things is that we accept Christ's love for us. God loves us. And that's that's the, 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 the bottom line of it. The second thing, the B, is simply to believe that Christ died and rose again for me personally. And C is to commit my fears and my life to Christ from this moment forward. That's the ABCs, to accept his love, to believe that he died and rose again for me, and to actually commit our fears and our lives to Christ. One of the things that we've been doing as a part of uh, this year even is uh, going on this journey of, uh, I started out talking about engaging with our community, talking about uh, getting people, uh, getting the message out, being in our world, having influence in our world, engaging with the people around about us. And, and we're moving now into an area where we're uh, starting to, uh, to change mindsets and things like that. You may remember that, uh, you know, for those of you uh, who've been here long enough, that we did a series called The Four Cups. And this series and this year, we're going to be looking at different ways of, of progressing through the four cups. The first cup was salvation, okay, engaging with our community. We need to get the word of salvation out to our community, to the people that we live with, we work with, the people that we're, we're engaging uh, with in life in general. The second cup was the cup of freedom. Cup of freedom talks about uh, getting stuff, uh, old mindsets out of our lives. Now, when you think about it, if you think about it in terms of when Joseph, he gets this fantastic dream from God, he tells his brothers and his dad and mum about this great dream and then suddenly he finds himself, his brothers are really jealous and, and they think he's just you know, arrogant to the core. So they plot his downfall, they cast him into a pit, then they sell him off to slave traders. He finds himself being sold into Potiphar's house, gets falsely accused of rape, gets thrown in prison again, he's in prison has this uh, ability to discern and to decipher uh, dreams, to interpret dreams. Uh, a couple of guys there, they have these dreams. Joseph interprets them. The fulfillment of those dreams comes to pass. And these guys are saying, look, we'll tell you, all, you know, we'll, we'll get you out of prison. We'll tell Pharaoh all about this stuff. And, and uh, he, he gets completely forgotten in, uh, in, in prison there. And uh, comes a time where in a day that God promotes Joseph from the prison to the palace in a day. And uh, that he gets this incredible favor and we see the, that uh, his life and the life of his family and his nation is turned around because of the influence that he exerts through Pharaoh and in the land of Egypt. And then years go past and there's suddenly another Pharaoh in charge and, and uh, he never knew Joseph, doesn't even know about Joseph, forgotten about Joseph and subjugates the people of Israel into slavery. They find themselves in these extremely harsh conditions. They have a, they, 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 over a 400-year period, they come to this place where they've got these old slave mindsets, the whole thing, and, uh, and it comes, you know, they cry out to God, and God sends a deliverer in Moses. Moses delivers the people of Israel, takes them out of Egypt, and they start to wander in the wilderness. 
And that's really, I guess, a picture of what we're doing this year, uh, uh, certainly in these first few months, is talking about, you know what, if we think about Egypt as a picture of the world, that there's the old system, the old mindsets and stuff like that. God wants us out of Egypt. There's a promised land that we've been called to. It's to live a life of fulfillment. You know, there's to live a life where we actually make a difference in the world. So God wants us out of Egypt. But then, you know, as we come out of Egypt, and that's talking about salvation, getting out of the, 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 the world's ways and of doing things, there comes a point where we've got to get Egypt out of us. Because we may come out of the world system and thinking, but we've got to renew our mind with the word of God so that we can live what God wants us to live. So there comes this point where uh, the, the Egyptian style of thinking, the slavery mentality that they had, they needed to get that out. And that's the journey that they experienced going through um, the wilderness and, and, and discovering their, their purpose and their destiny and things like that. This is what this, this particular series is designed to do, is to get Egypt's mentality, its thinking, its mindsets out of us so that we can replace that with what God says and his ways of doing things so that we can live a life where we find and discover our life's purpose and then we make a difference in our world. And that's the whole basis of this series that we're talking about today. One of the things I do recognize is that as we talk about our fears and overcoming our fears, that it's likely that things will get stirred up in you. That there will be things that you'll start to say, you know, I, I, I want to dig down. Where did that fear come from? You know, I've, I've said to you uh, a number of times that my fear of, of heights has, it's not that I'm afraid of higher places, it's actually that I'm afraid that I'm not going to be kept safe by God. There's an underlying reason for my fear of heights, that I don't trust God enough to keep me safe in a high-rise building, or God forbid that I should ever go on the Ferris wheel at the Royal Show. <laughs> to me, I can go on a, on a roller coaster without fear and anything. I'm, I'm up for it. But that thing goes way too slow, and I can see everything, and it scares me to be up there. I, I, I went on the Sky Rail up at, uh, in Queensland, up towards Cairns area, this beautiful sky rail. It's like this uh, thing, gondola, whatever it is, that gets uh, taken over all these treetops, and it's fantastic. My feet would sweat in that thing. I mean, it was just not a pleasant place to be when your feet sweat inside of one of these closed-in boxes, and James going, ah, 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 trying to gasp for air, you know. So that's, it, it comes down to the fact that you just don't trust God to look after you. And that's where my... So sometimes stuff's going to get stirred up in us. Well, if, if that happens, I, I've got some resources that are available if you want to tap into. I've got some, some names and contact details for people that you can talk to, uh, some that you'll pay for and others that you won't. I've got some books and some resources, some study guides that if you talk to me immediately after the service, I can get, uh, provide those to you, the, uh, the, the names of the books. You can go and source those yourself and go on a journey and dig a little bit deeper into some of the things that, uh, that may be happening and get stirred up in your world this morning. Is that fair? Bit of an introduction. So uh, who knows? You know, this, this whole thing of going, overcoming our fears, it may be, this today may be, the, uh, the start of the rest of your life. Maybe the first day in the rest of your life. So welcome to part three of Overcoming Our Fears. And this morning, I'm going to be talking about the fear of failure. The fear of failure. Anyone ever had that fear? You, you, you just, I'm in the right place today. Excellent. Because I was thinking about going to the church down the road because I thought it might be for them, but that's cool. 
Most of us fear something, okay? Uh, you'll be different from me, and, uh, because really we all have these different life, life experiences. So what I'm going to do right now is, as, as we start to dig into this, I'm just going to commit this, this morning's uh, message to the Lord. Eh? So Heavenly Father, I thank you for your people today. I thank you for your Holy Spirit as you speak to each one of us. I pray that as I speak, Lord, that you would speak profoundly and deeply into the hearts and the lives of your, your people. I pray that if there are things that get stirred up within us, I pray, Holy Spirit, bring your peace. Bring your peace right now. That no one would lose it or lose the plot or fall out of the tree. I, I just pray right now, Father, that your peace would permeate this morning's message. But I also pray that, that words, principles, ideas would come into our hearts and our minds so that we could renew our minds according to your will and your word. And I ask you that in Jesus' mighty name. And everyone said, Amen. Some of us, we're going to have different fears, okay? Your, your experience in life is different from mine, okay? Uh, some people will refuse to go to the dentist, okay? Just have a fear of dentists. Did you know that dentists is one of the professions that actually has a high suicide rate amongst uh, dentists and technicians because every one of them feels the fear and the hatred of a dentist when they have a, a patient sit down in their chair. It's something that exudes off of people. Uh, so you may have a, a fear of dentists. You may have a, uh, you refuse to, to, to speak in front of people. You have a fear of public speaking. One of the things that uh, I, I refuse to do, I always feared sitting down in a cafe or a restaurant with my back to the door where people come in and out. And you're thinking, what the? <laughs> but that's a true thing. Because of my previous profession as a police officer, I was always aware of who was coming into a room. I always knew where the danger points, the possibilities of danger or, or harm would come from. So I always made it a point. I never sat on my back to a door or a point of entry or exit into a room. I knew exactly who was sitting where and why they were. And I knew their rego numbers, their license. No, I didn't. But that's sometimes how we are. We're just wired differently. Your experiences are different from my experiences. I actually am overcoming that now. I actually sat, two weeks ago, I sat down in, a, in Saison's cafe and I had my back to the door. Hated every moment of it, but I did it. Anyway, just to prove a point. So there you go. So we're going to dive into this fear of failure. You know, I, I think Australia um, puts success up on a pedestal and we almost idolise this This whole idea and theology of success. You know, we, no one wants to fail. Some will do anything to, uh, to succeed. We will cheat, we'll, we'll lie, we'll, we'll do whatever is necessary. I mean, if you, the youth will know this because we've mucked around playing games. I will cheat in the youth games. <laughs> I love to succeed in the youth games. I, I've got this incredible uh, competitive nature in me uh, that says I'm not going to be beaten, especially by kids. Okay, so uh, I, I have this, this area in my life where it's not going to happen. That's sometimes how success affects us, you know. And, and don't tell me that I'm the only one that does that either. Because I'm, I'm looking at some, maybe I am the only one, I don't know. Might be. Okay, so uh, <laughs> fear of failure has actually many faces. I'm not sure if you're aware of this, but it can make us indecisive. It, we refuse to make a decision because we're afraid we're going to make the wrong one. We can also, it, it can make us workaholics in that we don't slow down, we don't rest, we don't relax because we're afraid of failing. 
We can also be a perfectionist. Fear of failure can make us a perfectionist. We're never satisfied until it's exactly perfect the way it should be done. So I want to tell you this morning that there are some antidotes to this fear of failure that we can have in our lives. And I believe that there are four antidotes that we can look at this morning that are going to help us to overcome this fear of failure. So number one is that we need to remember that everybody fails. Number two, realize that failure is not fatal most of the time. Number three, recognize that there are benefits to failure. And number four, that we can relax in God's grace. So we're going to look at the first one. Remember, everybody fails. Everybody fails. James chapter 3 verse 2 says, For we all stumble in many ways. We all stumble in many ways. Don't you love the Bible? Just tells it like it is, baby. It just, that's, that's how it is, you know. I hear people say, what if I fail? I want to say, What's the if? <laughs> you know, we've likely failed heaps of times in the past. There's the possibility we're failing at something right now. And because you're human, because you're, you know, a person, uh, you're likely going to fail many times in the future. Uh, this may shock you. I know it shocked me. No one's perfect. No one is perfect. The closest thing we'll ever be to perfection is when we're filling out that job application. Or have you noticed this? Okay, you go to a funeral and the person was an absolute mongrel, but the eulogy tells them, everybody, how perfect they were, that they actually walked on water. Have you ever noticed that? Is that just me? It's just how things are. Nobody's perfect. We all make mistakes. We all stumble. Even superstars actually stumble. I was watching the, the golf this morning, and one of the golfers on the, uh, playing at the, uh, the Mexican Open scored a hole in one, live on TV. He's high-fiving everybody. I'm thinking, mate, you failed at the uh, other 17 holes, mate, because you didn't get a hole in one then. <laughs> you, you failed, buddy. You know, not all the golfers get a hole in one every hole. NBL players in Australia, their, their average is that they, they, they score a, a point about 50% of the time. That's just, you know, that's how failure happens to, to operate. Everyone fails. It's a part of life for the rest of our life. And it's okay. It's normal. Everybody fails. Romans 3.23, the Bible says, For most of you have sinned. Does it say that? Or does it say, for all have sinned? So we've all made mistakes. We've all failed in some way. And we've fallen short of the standard of what... We've all failed. We have to let go of our image of being perfect. And the fear of failure will let go of us. Fact is that we've all failed. We may be failing now. We will fail in the future. Simply because we're human. The second antidote to this fear of failure is to realize that failure is not fatal. Okay, It is likely that failure in our lives is not fatal. It hasn't been thus far for you. Has it? You're still here. 
You're still living. You're still breathing. Just turn to the person next to you and just say, give him a little poke in the arm. Say, are you alive? Are you alive this morning? Little poke. Don't hurt him. So here's the deal. What I've noticed is that we vastly exaggerate the effects of failure. We blow it out of all proportion. Failing isn't the end of the world. It's probably not going to kill us. What I've noticed is that the fear of failure is more damaging than failure itself. Let me say that again. I've noticed that the fear of failure is more damaging than the failure itself. Proverbs 24 verse 16 says, No matter how often honest people fail, they always get up again. See, even good guys stumble. The guys that wear the white cowboy hats in the movies, they were always the good guys. They always get up. They always keep going. They always get through to the end of the movie and they win in the end. Guys wearing black hats don't. Successful people aren't those who don't fail. They are the ones that keep getting back up. The Apostle Paul is a great example of this. He says in 2 Corinthians chapter 4, verses 8 to 9, he says, We are pressed on every side by troubles, but we are not crushed. We are perplexed, but not driven to despair. We are hunted down, but never abandoned by God. We get knocked down, but we are not destroyed. Paul's saying to us, you know what, guys, I've taken my lumps, but my lumps are not keeping me down. I'm going to get back up and I'm going to keep going on and keep succeeding. See, great people are simply ordinary people with an extraordinary amount of determination. They just keep on going and they realize that we're never a failure until we quit or we give up. Sometimes I think we need to reinvent our definition of what failure really is. How about if we were to redefine failure this way? See, failure is not failing to reach a goal. Failure is not setting a goal. Failing is is not not fulfilling our dreams. Failure is not having a dream. Failing is not falling down. Failing is actually refusing to get back up again. So maybe we just need to redefine what a good definition of failure is. Failing is refusing to try. Let's try. Let's give it a crack. Let's get in the game. Let's take this challenge on. Let's do and move through this obstacle. Let's move around this obstacle. Let's not let finance stop us from living the the life that God wants us to live. Let's try. Let's, let's try sharing our faith with our world. Let's try laying hands on the sick so that we can see them recover and see them healed. Let's try doing something for God and stepping out in faith. Let's at least try to do it. Here's some famous failures. You may recognize some of them. George Washington lost over two-thirds of the battles that he ever fought, but he won the war and later became president. Napoleon graduated 42nd out of 43 in his class, then went on and conquered Europe. Walt Disney was fired from his job at the Kansas City Star newspaper because he lacked imagination and had no good ideas. 
Oprah Winfrey was fired from her first job as an anchor of a TV show because she became too emotionally involved with her stories. Steven Spielberg was fired from the University of Southern California School of Cinematic Arts many, many times before he succeeded. Colonel Sanders was fired from numerous jobs before founding his KFC empire. Thomas Edison's teachers told him he was too stupid to learn anything. J.K. Rowling was a single mum living on welfare when she wrote the Harry Potter novels. After his first movie role, Harrison Ford's director took him aside and said he will never succeed in the movie business. What happened? They refused to listen to those people and kept trying. They brushed themselves off, they stood up and they moved on. They continued to press in and to do the very thing that they had in their hearts to do. See, failure wasn't fatal for them. It wasn't fatal for their dream, it wasn't fatal for their families, it wasn't fatal for their welfare. They continued to get up and they continued to get back in the game and not let other people who were trying to dampen down and to, to take away the dream of their life. Who's trying to steal your dream? What voice are you listening to in your world that's stopping you from moving forward and trying again, brushing yourself off and getting back in the game? I'm going to tell you now, it's not God. God wants you to succeed. God wants to, to, for you to, to be so successful in whatever endeavor that you are in. God wants you to succeed. Amen, Pastor Gary. Oh, that was a great point. I thought it was a fantastic point. See, if at first we don't succeed, it's no big deal. We're never a failure until we give up. See, remember, everyone fails... And we need to re realize that failure is not fatal. The third thing, the antidotes to the fear of failure. We need to recognize the benefits of failure. There are benefits. We can see and look for the good in our failures, take something from our failure and start to move forward with our lives, not allowing those things to, to cripple us and to stop us from moving forward. There are benefits in failure. We usually think of failure as being a negative experience. But wise people learn from failure and they make the most of it. It's, it's a really smart person that learns from their mistakes. It's an incredibly wise person that learns from the mistakes of someone else. So you don't have to make those mistakes. Someone's already made them for you. Does that sound like anyone that you might know? Don't look around. Don't look around. See, one of the primary tools that God uses in our life to make the most of what it is that we're doing is, is failure. So we might ask, okay, what possible good is failure in our lives? Well, there's three, three things, three benefits that we can use from failure. First one is that God uses failure to educate us. Mistakes are simply learning experiences. Because some, uh, some things we can actually learn only through failure. 
Proverbs 28, 13 says, a man who refuses to admit his mistakes can't be successful. Do you see that? Mistakes and success are in the same verse. They're in the same verse. It's the same thing. How do we learn to be successful? By learning other ways to do something that we just failed at. We've just discovered one way not to do something. Who was the guy that invented the, uh, the light bulb? Was it Thomas Edison? Yeah. So I, I read some quotes from him. He says he discovered 10,000 ways not to do a light bulb before he found the right way to do it. That's a good way of looking at it. We can learn from our failure. If we're not making any mistakes, we're not growing and we're not learning. I don't want someone uh, in my life that's absolutely perfect. I want people that, you know, we can learn off of each other. We can go through life each other, with, with each other, journeying together, learning from each other's mistakes, helping one another, encouraging each other. It says in Ecclesiastes, one falls down, the others can help him to get back up. If we're making the same mistake every week, something's wrong. We're in trouble. We've got something to learn from failure. If we're not taking any risks, we're not growing. And God uses failure to educate us. The second thing that we can take as a benefit is that God uses failure to motivate us. Proverbs 20 verse 30 says, Sometimes it takes a painful situation to make us change our ways. That's a good verse right there. A lot of times we change not to, when we see the light, but when we feel the heat. <laughs> There's the story of Elijah in the Old Testament. He goes down and he's just had this incredible battle. He goes into this, this area and there's this, uh, this stream that's there and he starts to get fed by these ravens. They bring meat to him and, and they look after him and he's enjoying it there. And there's water there. But then one day the stream dries up and Elijah says to God, God, where, where's the water in the stream? And so, you know, God says, mm, actually, I didn't want you to stay here and camp here for the rest of your life. I've stopped the water so you'll move on. And sometimes God stops the resources in our world because he wants us to move on. It's real simple. He doesn't want us there anymore, so we need to learn. He's trying to motivate us in a way that moves us forward. As long as the stream was there, Elijah was going to stay there. It was comfortable. So God turned up the heat, got Elijah moving, and sometimes he does that with us. Sometimes it takes a painful situation for us to make us to change our minds, to change our ways. The third thing that uh, we can benefit from in this whole thing about what God uses, how he uses failure, is that he actually uses it to build our character. God uses failure to build our character. Romans 5 verses 3 to 4 says, We can rejoice when we run into problems and trials. For we know they are good for us. They develop strength of character. Now, I don't know about you. This is my discovery about myself when I read this verse again this week. That actually rejoicing is not my default setting when problems and trials come my way. I don't go tiptoe through the tulips when I come across a problem. I think, oh, joy, let's throw a party. I've got a problem. There's a trial on. Oh, yes. Oh, my goodness me. Oh, I've got a problem. I've got a trial. Yeah, come on. It's great. Yeah. It's not my default setting. And 
Is anyone here has the default setting of celebrate, let's blow a party balloon and poppers and let's bake a cake? No one here? Man, I'm in a good church. I love that. People like me that go, I've got a problem. Oh. Maybe not that bad, but you know, it's not my default setting. It is not my default setting. Failure has a way of softening our hearts, I've discovered. It makes us sensitive to others, less judgmental, more sympathetic to people around us who are hurting. God uses failure to cultivate us and to grow our character. Failure doesn't automatically grow our character, though, I've discovered. Failure makes some people bitter. Failure only builds our character when we respond to it correctly, when we learn from it, when we grow from it, when we say, what didn't work here and what can I change? We've got to respond to failure correctly. Fourthly, the uh, antidote to this whole fear of failure is that we need to relax in God's grace. We need to relax in God's grace. Remember, everyone fails. We've got to realize that failure isn't fatal. We've also got to understand that God uses failure to help us in so many different ways. So we need to relax in God's grace. Psalm 103 verse 14 says this, God knows what we're made of. He remembers that we are but dust. If you're complaining about the dusting that you do at home, it's your fault. You're made of it. And you're shedding. Um, that was a revelation for some people. I, I saw the, the light, light bulb moments going, really? Oh, I didn't know that. God isn't surprised when we fail. He actually expects it. He knows what we're made of. He knows we're human and he doesn't expect us to be perfect. Here's the, I'm going to say some things in the next two minutes that may just be the most powerful things you've ever heard in your life. I want you to switch on engage and listen right now see when we fail God does not stop loving us God does not stop loving us if we think that we have to be perfect for God to love us then we have missed the most important message that the Bible communicates to us about God God loves us not because of who we are, but because of who he is. God does not love us because of what we do, but because of what Christ has already done. Don't miss that. Don't miss the fact. It doesn't matter what you've done. God will not stop loving you read your bible discover those passages where it says you know like heavens and principalities and powers and demonic things and things of darkness and whatever else can never separate us from the love of god 
that is found in Christ Jesus. Talks about in the epistles that you need to discover how wide and how deep and how high and tall and, and other stuff that the love of God actually is. God loves you because of who he is. We can't make love God, God love us any more and we can't make him love us any less. He loves us just as much on our bad days as he does on our good days. That's good news. It's called grace. And just like James said in communion, it's amazing. It's his amazing grace. When we realize that that's the way that God treats us, you know what? You can relax. It's not that we can just take things for granted and do things wrong deliberately but that we can relax in God. And even if you did do things deliberately, still loves you. Maybe he doesn't like what you're doing, but he loves you. Have we ever had an area in our life that we habitually failed in? You know, the first time we feel real bad and we say, God, I'm sorry, I blew it, please help me. And then we blow it again and we go back and say, God, I'm really sorry, please forgive me. And then three or five, four times later, we, we start to think, you know, we keep doing this. And you just simply say to yourself, I don't want to go back anymore and ask for forgiveness because I'm just doing this over and over and over again. We think God must get really tired of us behaving in that way. Well, here's the truth, okay? God never gets tired of us talking to him, and he's never too busy. We can relax in his grace. When we mess up, the last thing we need to do is to run from God. We need to run to God because of his amazing grace. We need to run to God because of his amazing grace. It's old mindsets. It's the slavery mentality that says, you know, I can't go back to my... Like, it's, it's like you've got the slave master who's over you. You, you do the wrong thing as a slave and, and, and it comes to the attention of the slave master. The slave master whips you with everything else that he's got. You know, he, he really bends his back as he's laying into you with a, with a, with a whip and, and he beats you up and he calls you all these horrible names and says you're worthless, says you're no value, you're hopeless, I don't even know I've got you making these bricks in Egypt here. That, that, that's not, you know, and we've got this whole mentality, that's how it should be. Like, that's how life is and that's how we you know, transfer how God is going to treat us and God doesn't do that we can mess up we can do the wrong thing but God's not waiting there with a whip to beat us up or to call us horrible names God is there and he's going to embrace us with his grace he's going to forgive us if we come to him we just got to go back to him but you know the mindset is the slavery mindset is the old way of thinking the world's way of thinking is if I go and admit my wrong then I get crucified well, Christ has already been crucified. So God the Father is not going to crucify you. That was a good point. That was a good point. We can relax in his grace. It's unconditional love and it's not dependent on us. Many of us grew up in homes, myself included, that were performance-based. When I performed well, I had the, uh, uh, the love and the, the gratitude. I had the, 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 the good things that my parents would speak into my world when I, when I did good things. But if I stuffed up, I didn't get those same things. 
I was told I was worthless. I was no hope. I mean, if you ever want to do anything in this world, you've got to do better than this, you know? And it's almost like uh, that, that uh, love was attached to the way that I performed. When I was good, the love was shown. Now, I know, okay, I know that they always love me. But that's not what they said. Is this making sense? Because I'm getting a lot of blank stares. Okay? That's how it was in my home. It may have been similar in yours. If we fail, it means we're worth nothing. That's how that, that performance-based thing is. Success is everything. Getting top marks, getting the, making the grade, doing the right thing. It taught us success it means that we're valuable and failure means that we're worthless. But we're wrong. Please don't transfer the image of an unpleasable parent onto God. He doesn't treat us that way. We can relax in His grace. And for me, that's good news. For you, I pray that it's good news. We don't need to fear failure. We can relax in God's grace. We can go to Him because He embraces us. He teaches us. He, he disciplines us. Because God loves those He disciplines, the Bible tells us. I remember many times telling my children just before I smacked them that I loved them. But did it mean that I hated them? No. Because I wanted to train them in a certain way. Now, we, we've got so many better... You know what? I've got to tell you this right now. My daughter, Naomi, disciplines and brings her children up far better than I ever brought her up. Where did she learn that? I've got no clue. <laughs> but I've got to tell you, I, 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 I honour my daughter today for the way that she brings her kids up. But she sits them down. She looks them in the eye. She makes sure that she's got their attention. Me, I was, I was going off like a pork chop with my, da my daughter. She did something wrong, and I was full of anger and rage, because that's the way I was brought up. But my daughter has sat down, thought about ways of bringing up her, her kids and is, is putting into place a system where she raises them up and let, she ensures that they know that she loves them before she takes any sort of disciplinary action. Maybe like she withdraws a certain privilege or a, uh, a thing like that. Me, man, that's different from how I handled it. Praise God. Praise God it's a different way. We've got things we can learn. We can, we can discipline better today. And I praise God. Because it actually demonstrates a greater level of love. I didn't experience that. But I, you know what? I can start to move forward from here. I'm learning things from people around about me. How I can bring discipline in a greater way that actually demonstrates my love and my, my value in people. And communicate that in a better way. Does that make sense? We can relax in His grace. See, we can relax in His grace. We don't have to fear any failure because we know God's never going to stop loving us no matter what. We can face the future because we don't have to fear failure anymore. Colossians chapter 2, verse 14 says this, Because we broke God's laws, we owed a debt. A debt that listed all of the rules that we failed to follow. He says, but God forgave us that debt. He took it away and he nailed it to the cross. Everything we've ever done wrong, 
that we are doing wrong and will ever do wrong was nailed to the cross. There is not one thing that you can ever do in your life that is not covered by the blood of Jesus Christ on the cross at Calvary. His blood has set us free. A Christian life isn't a mistake-free life, but it can be a guilt-free life. I love the Bible because it tells the truth, the whole truth, nothing but the truth. So help me God. I, I, one of the things that I do read from time to time is biographies. And quite often with biographies, you get the good, you get the good, and you get the good. I love the Bible because it gives you the good, the bad, and the ugly. That should be a good film, film title, wouldn't it? Yeah. The good, the... See, God used Noah to save the world, but then Noah got drunk and he was naked. I don't know if you read that, but that's recorded in the Bible. God tells us that David was a man after his own heart, Yet it also tells us that David had an affair and a child born out of wedlock. I'm not sure if you're aware of this. The Bible tells us that God used Moses to lead God's people through the Red Sea. But it also tells us that Moses killed a guy and that he smashed the Ten Commandments because he was so angry. Read the Bible, it's there. If we are a believer, then we need to understand this. Maybe, just maybe, our best witness to our world is not the way that we behave, but actually how we handle mistakes and failures. It's not about being Christians being perfect. There's a, a, a bumper sticker that goes around, you know, Christians aren't perfect, they're, they're, but they are forgiven. There's a lot of truth to that, but that's really corny. It's an excuse that people can use. But there's this whole thing. How do we handle failures? How do we handle mistakes? More importantly, how do we handle the mistakes and the failures of others? Not just ours. How do we respond when we blow it? Or better yet, how do we respond when someone else blows it? How do we handle their failure? Do we relax in God's grace? Do we restore someone? Do we continue to forgive and to love them? Wouldn't doing that be such a greater witness to our world of, what, of who God is and his love in us? Is how we respond to the failures and the mistakes of our own, but also for the people that we're doing life with. What's so amazing about God's grace is not just that he forgives our failures, but he gives us the power to start over again. We have, uh, what have we always wanted to do, but we're afraid to because we might fail at doing it? What would we attempt for God if we knew that we couldn't fail? What's stopping us from moving forward? Oh, I tried that once. It's a fear of failure. Oh, it didn't work, so I'm not going to do it again. What did you learn in the failure? Is there another way that you need to do this? Do you need to set aside a different way of, of raising resource? Is there something that you, know, you need to connect with someone? Do you need to network? 
Do you need other people in your world that are going to help you to succeed in doing that? Where are the people of a like heart and a like mind with the same vision as you? Gather around those people. The worst effect of the fear of failure is that it paralyzes our potential. It locks us in a self-imposed prison. It stifles our creativity. It keeps us from being what God meant us to be. It causes us to miss God's best because we don't even try. We've given up to that idea because we failed once. We may have failed twice. Get back up and have a third go. Have a tenth go. Have a fiftieth go. If you're Thomas Edison, you need to have that 10,001th try. I'm not sure that's a really good way of saying that, but you know what I mean. See, whether we've got five or 50 years left, let's make the rest of our life the best of our life by saying, I want to do everything I do in love. For God, I love God and I love others. We need to do it because love never fails. 1 Corinthians 13 verse 8, God says love never fails. Matthew 22, 37 to 40, it talks about the greatest commandment. Simply love the Lord your God with everything. And then love other people like you love yourselves. How does that mean? How does that relate into the fear of failure? Don't you want a second chance? Don't you want another go? Don't you want to still be in this family? Don't you want to achieve and do the greatest things that you could thought possible? Don't you want encouragement? That's how we love others as ourselves. It's the golden rule. I think it talks about it in Matthew and also in Luke. Do unto others as you would have them do unto you. The golden rule. How do you want to be treated in your failure? You want another chance. Let's not give up on people. Let's not give up on the relationships that we have. Let's give them another crack, another chance, and then another and another with the determination that this is a witness for our world, but it's because I love them. You okay? This is really good, isn't it? I might get the CD. Norman Vincent Peale. Anyone know who that is? He invented the Peelers? No? Policeman. He invented the police force. Was it? Oh, well. There was a Peeler who did, didn't he? Because they used to get called Peelers back in England. That was Robert Peel. I knew that. I knew that. No, really? No. See, I failed. Ne- I'm going to never do this again. God. Oh. God, that's it, eh? Norman Vincent Peel said this. He's actually a writer, I think. He says, I'd rather attempt to do something great and fail than attempt to do nothing and succeed. I'll say that again because I said it very quickly and I know that some of you need to just catch it again. He said, I'd rather attempt to do something great and fail than attempt to do nothing and succeed. Are we letting the fear of failure keep us from being all that God wants us to be? This is my heart today. I want you to hear my heart. I want to encourage us today. Don't let the fear of failure 
stop you making a difference and living a life of fulfillment today. Don't let it stop. Just as the team come up. I see so much potential around about. I know the talent of the people in this church. I know how God's blessed you. I see what God wants to do in your life. And I want you to see it for yourselves and not let the fear of failure stop you from moving forward. Don't let the fear of failure keep you from being who God wants you to be and to do what God wants you to do. Relax in His grace. You are going to fail. But who cares? We are trophies of God's grace. The good thing is, just as much as we're going to have failures in our future, we're also going to hit some home runs. We're also going to succeed. We're going to score some goals. We will shoot a mistake-free game. We will get a hole in one. We will raise our kids well and our grandchildren well. We will love others as we love ourselves. We will give people another chance and another chance and another chance because we're going to relax in God's grace. Can we stand? Thank you. I actually just want to simply pray the four points over us as a, as a church this morning. If you're listening to this by podcast, I just pray that the power of this, these statements penetrate into your heart and make a difference in the way that you see things. So Heavenly Father, this morning we ask by your power and strength to do the following. Help us to remember that everybody fails. It's not exclusive to me. I don't have the ownership rights on that. We are going to fail. I thank you that failure is not going to be fatal. It's okay to make a mistake. I'm still going to live through this. I thank you that we're going to recognize the benefits of failure. That you use it to grow us. That you use it to motivate us and build character. But more than anything, Lord, I pray that in relation to the fear of failure, that you help us to relax in your grace. I pray, help us to relax in your grace this morning. Help us to relax in your grace this morning. To nestle and stop wrestling. That we can turn to you come to you knowing that you do discipline so much better than we do. That you talk to us. You look us in the eye. You tell us how much you love us. You tell us why you're wanting us to change a certain level of behavior or the ways that we live. And you talk to us from the position of our future, calling us to yourself to make these changes. I thank you that we can wrestle. Sorry, we can nestle and stop wrestling and we can actually relax in your in your grace i pray that as we start to live this way that our world would see 
the way that we handle mistakes and failures of ourselves and of others, and it would create a conversation that opens the door to someone stepping across the line into eternity with you. And we commit that to you this morning in the wonderful name of Jesus. And everybody said, Amen. Amen. Thank you.